Cruz to Watsonville and 9 is clear north and south from Santa Cruz to San Jose. For weather, it is 65 degrees out right now and time for Planet Watch. Hello and welcome to Planet Watch, big solutions to Earth-sized problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. And I'm Joe Jordan. And today on the program, what children, yes, children, are doing to save the planet for their and future generations. We interview best-selling children's author termed filmmaker Lynn Cherry about her work with Young Voices for the Planet, a nonprofit organization committed to empowering youth and I mean youth, we're talking about little kids, to fight climate change. That will be coming up in just a moment. And we have a podcast which you can subscribe at planetwatchradio.com, and then you never have to miss a show. Uh, you can also uh, reach us during the show or between shows uh, by uh, emailing us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com, or you can go to Facebook and uh, send us a comment or question for that we'll get to our uh, guests uh, today, Lynn Sherry. Uh, so, uh, welcome. Yes, thank you for so much for listening. And you can also hear us uh, online in case you missed any of our previous programs by looking up uh, planetwatchradio.com and looking at all of our previous shows online. And you can subscribe to it as a podcast, which means you never have to miss a show. Well, first, a little bit of news from our planet, from around the scientific world, and we'll start with something right here in Santa Cruz, where our program originates. As the climate crisis worsens statewide in California, Santa Cruz is set to declare a climate emergency. Tomorrow at 1.45 p.m. at the Santa Cruz City Hall, there will be a press conference recognizing Santa Cruz for voting on a climate emergency declaration. On the heels of the fires that have killed at least 87 people statewide and a new report, which we'll tell you about in a moment, saying that the climate emergency threatens hundreds of billions of dollars in annual losses, the Santa Cruz City Council will vote Tuesday on whether to declare a climate emergency. The resolution under consideration would kick off a community-wide planning process and economic mobilization to shift the city to a just green economy. Members of Santa Cruz Climate Action Network and other supporters will gather. Public is invited to attend, and several young people may speak briefly to the council as well. Pauline Seals said that when passed, this resolution will represent a step forward in the fight to leave a habitable world for young people, and I would add the rest of us old codgers as well. So, so congratulations! So congratulations to Santa Cruz if and when this resolution is passed, and you can help make sure that happens this Tuesday. Now, Tommy Martin, our intern, has a story for you about a new report out. There seems to be one every week these days. <laughs> um, this one has a lot of information for you, so yeah. no pet. A 1,600-page report conducted by federal scientists from 13 agencies has found that climate change could cause more harm to the U.S. economy by 2100 than the Great Recession. The latest national climate assessment directly links climate change to the declining water levels in the Colorado River Basin and the spread of tick species which can carry Lyme disease and mosquitoes that spread West Nile and Zika. Allergy season is also being extended with warmer winters and higher carbon dioxide levels 
which makes pollen-producing plants more active. Rising temperatures also worsens ground-level ozone and exacerbates sources of pollution like wildfires, as the country witnessed from the California smoke, which drifted all the way to New York. By the end of the century, crop damage, lost labor, and extreme weather could cost the U.S. economy $500 billion a year. And that report was released on Friday during Thanksgiving week, trying to bury it. However, most of the major media news outlets did pick up on the report and have been reporting on it. And we're happy to also chime in on the information spreading of this report by the Trump administration's uh, own agencies. And he himself has said he does not believe in climate change as a real thing and that humans have caused it. However, his own agency not only says it's happening, but that it's going to have billions of dollars. Now, maybe because he's a businessman, you can't see the quotations here, but um, that perhaps the dollars will speak louder than the lives lost in California to him. And just for the uh, mathematically uh, alert... How about impaired? Uh, That's 500 billion is half a trillion. 500 billion B with a like B like Baker. <laughs> That's half a trillion. Now we're really getting into some serious money. Big, big time. Like significant that. fractions of all the money there is. And in other news, the UN World Meteorological Organization, uh, they have a greenhouse gas bulletin that shows that global concentrations of CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide have been increasing steadily over the past years. In addition, the report notes a resurgence of a potent greenhouse gas and ozone-depleting substance called CFC-11, which is regulated under an international agreement to protect the ozone layer, which we spoke about on this program a couple of weeks ago. The WMO Greenhouse Gas Bulletin reports specifically on atmospheric concentrations of greenhouse gases, which are what remains in the atmosphere following complex process of emissions and absorptions. Since 1990, there has been a 41% increase, that's just since 1990, in the warming effect by the various greenhouse gases on the climate, known as radioactive forcing. CO2 specifically accounts for about 82% of the increase in radioactive forcing over the past decade, according to the figures quoted in the WMO report. So something to pay attention to as we go about uh, trying to change the response to these various reports on local governments as well as federal and state governments. See, Rachel, can I ask you a question? Did you say, I think you were saying radioactive forcing, but it's, it's radiative forcing as in radiation, um, you know, the infrared radiation. In, in case it came across as radioactive forcing, it's not, that's not it, it's radiative forcing. <laughs> Sorry. Typo there on the report. Thank you for the correction. So when these reports come out, uh, what happens to them? <laughs> Do governments read them? I guess that depends on which governments. Uh, if you are interested in having an impact on the beliefs of our current in California governor, the one that's coming in, Gavin Newsom, there is a report and a survey, I believe it's on his website, but it was circulating around. So in case you haven't weighed in on what you want our new governor in California to do, of course, he's going to be overseeing you know, the world's fifth largest economy and certainly has a huge ability to impact the emissions coming out of California, then um, it's recommended that you go to Gavin Newsom's website and weigh in on what you think he ought to be doing as the new governor of California. And we have our guest, it looks like it has called in and is being set up, but uh, just in case we run out of time at the end of the show, 
this being the eve of Monday, November 26th, a very special thing is going to happen tomorrow. Another spacecraft called InSight is going to land on Mars, we hope, <laughs> land safely. And it'll be accompanied by two CubeSats, which are tiny satellites like cubes that are actually going to report back real time on the entry, descent, and landing phases of the extremely exciting uh, end of the beginning of this new Mars mission. And uh, so it's the new Mars mission is going to be using seismometry and uh, heat flow sensors and, and radios to report back to us on new frontiers on the planet Mars, which you can see in the evening, by the way, this reddish dot up in the high up in the south shortly after sunset. Thank you, Joe. Well, you know, when we keep reporting on the ever increasingly alarming news about what's happening to our planet, it can be... A source of despair for many of us listening, um, we have a number of responses, either to look away or to look at or to just try to do what we can individually or try to influence our governments. Um, one person decided to respond by including the voices of young people, and I'm not talking about teenagers, I'm talking about younger people, you know, younger than teenage years. Her name is Lynn Cherry, and she's a producer and director of Young Voices for the Planet, a film series featuring very young uh, students around the globe, especially here in the United States, who have stepped up and done things themselves as their own response to hearing about uh, global warming. She's an author and illustrator of 30 award-winning children's books, including bestsellers The Great Kapok Tree and A River Ran Wild. You, if you have children, may have read these to your kids. Her academic writings include a chapter in Written in Water, published by National Geographic Books, and she teaches and lectures widely around the country, and we're very lucky to have her on Planet Watch to talk about her film series. So welcome to you, Lynn Cherry. Thanks for being on Planet Watch. Thanks for having me. Wonderful you could Hi, be here. Lynn. Hi. Hi, Lynn. Yeah. So... Let's start out by talking about what led you to, as you could have just kept writing these best-selling books, which have an environmental theme, um, but you decided to do something more. What led to you deciding you wanted to make films about children's view on saving the planet? Well, I had done a children's book called How We Know What We Know About Our Changing Climate. Citizens and scientists uh, study global warming. And... I think I didn't get the title quite right, but um, it was uh, I, it was about 10 years ago now that I wrote that with Gary Brush, and we thought that if the kids knew the science, certainly they would want to do something about it. And kids who read the book were really troubled by climate change, even though it had a lot of success stories in the book. And then I thought, you know, I should have known better because... When I was going around and talking to kids about the rainforest being cut down or, or rivers being polluted, um, I found out the hard way that you can't just tell about doom and gloom, that it gets kids really upset, that you had to tell them success stories. And, and that was what I had been doing going around the country and showing them these stories of kids who had saved rainforest or had cleaned up rivers or had testified at their um, county commissions to save land, all kinds of things like that. And then the kids would get really excited and they'd want to do something. They were empowered by the success stories. 
So I realized that I needed to tell positive stories about climate change, that no one was telling positive stories about climate change. It was all the doom and gloom. And so I looked around for some stories of kids fighting climate change. And initially, I just found some kids who were fighting it, you know, trying to draw the adults' attention to it. But then as time went on, I actually found stories of kids who were doing projects that reduced CO2 emissions, or in the case of Felix Finkbeiner from, from Germany, an 11-year-old, he had planted trees, and, and he'd done this website that went viral and started Plant for the Planet, and he's now planted a billion trees. So think about how much carbon that sequesters. Absolutely, yeah. So that's how it happened. And, you know, I don't think it's that just children alone are the ones who need to hear success stories. I think we all need to hear um, things that work. Uh, It gets our brain excited about uh, what we might do instead of just feel overwhelmed, which can happen. And there's a balance somewhere in between. Um, One of the things we often hear adults say when they're talking about climate change is when they're talking to young people, well, it's going to be up to your generation to fix this because, you know, I'm sorry, but we're leaving you a destroyed planet. <laughs> I don't think that's an acceptable statement to make to young people that, you know, we couldn't change it, but here you go. It's up to you now. Um, maybe that's factually true, but it doesn't seem to be a message that they really take very kindly to. <laughs> no. If you think they, about I, it. They, they, no, they feel resentful. It's true. And so I, the films, it's really interesting. They work on two completely different levels. When the adults see them, they cry. <laughs> they think, oh, my God, you know, these kids are having to bear the brunt of uh, what we've done. They're, or they're going to certainly bear the brunt of, of what we've done as time goes on. And the kids see them, and they say, wow, those kids look just like me. Those kids are, those kids are doing something. Well, if those kids do something, then maybe I can do something. And that the one story, Save Tomorrow, of these three nine-year-olds, they see the other Young Voices for the Planet films, and they say exactly that. Well, they look just like me. Maybe we could do something. And there's a a law that prohibits solar panels on town buildings in their town. And so they testify. They get a standing ovation. The law is overturned. And then the town does a complete about-face and puts solar panels Mm -hmm. on every town building and at the town landfill, and on their school. And then the kids say, well, we did that. What can we do now? And they save a piece of conservation land. So this is the most amazing thing is when kids see the films, and it really sometimes it's just the films alone that that does it, just seeing their peers. It's called social modeling in the Mm. words of psychologist and social scientist Albert Bandura, that they... They, use, they see these role models and they want to, they want to be like those kids. Well, let's uh, hear a little clip from Saving Tomorrow and then we'll be right back and talk with filmmaker Lynn Cherry. I have these two friends, Mari McBride and Lily Georgopoulos, and I've known them since I was before preschool. I think what binds us together is our passion for what's going on around us. We're all doers. So when we were little, when we were first hearing about climate change, it was on the news, it was in the papers, our parents were talking about it. I just felt despair. It was worse than concern. It was just sadness. 
I didn't think there was anything anyone could do. We got older and we realized that the grown-ups weren't doing anything about it. We kind of lost our faith in adults. If they care about us, they should care about our future too. No one is going to protect our future for us. And so we were on our own. I think the fight against climate change is kind of like the fight of Harry Potter and the Death Eaters. Harry Potter was born into this problem, just like we were born into this problem. We saw that Harry Potter was brave. Even though he was a kid, he made a difference. We kind of saw him as a role model. When I was watching the Young Voices for the Planet films, I'd never seen kids in action before, and it was really, really amazing. And I realized that there was nothing different between me and the kids on those screens, and I could be doing what they were doing. We thought, can we do something like this? Is it possible? So I got really excited, and I got on a notepad, and I started writing. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to do something. All of a sudden, this idea just popped into my head. Save tomorrow, that would be the group name. Here in Lexington, the town laws didn't allow solarization of our town buildings. We learned that there was a chance for all three of us to come and talk about climate change at the town meeting. Lily and Mari and I all wrote some statements to try and get them to allow solar panels to go on public buildings. At first, we were a little bit scared. These are a bunch of grown-ups. They run the world. To stop climate change, everyone has to pitch in and help. That means all of us right here in Lexington. We decided to quote Dr. Seuss using a quote from the Lorax. We said it together. And remember, as Dr. Seuss said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. What a beautiful uh, little clip there from a longer piece of a film that Lynn Cherry produced um, for PBS, and it's being aired around the country, along with another couple of films, which we'll talk about in just a moment. How did you find these kids? The, uh, those kids were actually friends of um, some people I knew in, in Lexington, Massachusetts. And what was funny is that I went to visit them and it was about two years after that happened. They were 11, and um, the father, actually the father who's in that movie, um, he said, oh, you know, the kids, by the way, did I ever tell you that you know, they watched your film and then they got this law change in Lexington? Mm. <laughs> so um, I said, well, this is an amazing story. And I happened to be visiting, and then um, we got snowed in. And I thought, well, would you want to, kids, do you want to be interviewed about this? And they said, sure, you know, it was a snow day, school, uh, no school. So I actually was able to find a, a camera guy, and he came over with his four-wheel drive, and he shot that film in, the, in that snow, which you can see is up to their knees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really fun. What, what yeah. a wonderful experience for them and for you. And what, are they still fighting uh, various battles still at age 11 <laughs> after yeah, their great well, successes? Yeah, they're, they're, they're now, I think, 14 and over the last couple of years, the films have won quite a few awards in the Boston area. And so there have been film festivals, and, and Harvard aired them, and the Audubon, uh, Mass Audubon, did a full-day workshop around the films. And the, the curriculum that we have, we actually have a civic engagement and democracy curriculum that we've created around all the films. 
And so the girls speak at, uh, they always come and speak after they, after the screenings. And they always get the standing ovation, not me, <laughs> which is really great. I mean, that's the idea. I, the idea is to champion what they're doing, you know? Yeah. I'm speaking with Lynn Cherry here on Planet Watch, and she is uh, the producer of Young Voices for the Planet, a film series highlighting what children are doing to combat climate change and other environmental insults to their lives and their futures. And when Lynn started talking with us a week or so ago about this upcoming show, uh, we sort of found a natural match between the kinds of things that all these young people are doing. Uh, you know, this this radio show, the whole reason for it is uh, looking for pathways to solutions to the problems of the world. And, uh, well, hey, one of the biggest ones of those solutions is the young people. <laughs> and, of course, we have our intern Tommy here also. And at some point, I'm hoping we'll hear from him. Uh, uh, and uh, he can say hi to Lynn. And, uh, hey, out. Lynn. <laughs> Do you have a question for Lynn? Um, yeah, I'm just looking over all of these different stories right now. And I was just wondering what drove you to keep going and looking for people beyond Lexington and how you found all these other people. Yeah, the, uh, the Lexington film was actually about halfway through the project. Uh, the first one was, that I, the first kid that I found was a kid named Alec Lures, who was in Ventana, California, and he went and, and uh, created these sea level awareness posts, which he was able to get posted all around Coastal Ventura that showed where the sea level rise would be with certain degrees of warming. And then we made a little film about him, and he took that film, and they gave it out to Congress people, and then he got invited to speak Congress. And he's actually um, become quite a force. He started a group called I Matter, and um, they you can, you can Google that. They're just doing great work in empowering young people around the globe. That's fantastic. Another one of your films um, I thought we'd play a little clip from, but I'd like you to describe how this story came about. It's called Words Have Power. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that one came about? Yeah. Um, I, one of the, the, the things I was really concerned about with the films is that they portrayed a diverse population of young people. And there, you can see in, in Team Marine and um, actually, um, almost all of the films, they are from, the kids are from a lot of different backgrounds. But I, I didn't have a story about um, any kids from the inner city. And someone brought the story of Jason to my attention. And she's from Bridgeport, Connecticut. She lived in the shadow of a coal-fired power plant. And the whole neighborhood, all the kids... And, and parents, you know, they were often rushed to the hospital with serious asthma attacks caused by this power plant. So when she found this out, she just thought it was horrible. And she was 10 years old, and a group that had formed to try and, and shut down the plant got in touch with her and asked her, would she, would she speak about her asthma to the city council? And because it was this little kid and she was speaking from her heart, it, uh, people were crying. I mean, it really moved them. And so then she just started speaking all over the place. She had rallies and other, um, testifying other places. And she, she became a catalyst for the community to fight harder. And she broke through a lot of the walls of 
people who were making the decisions, and that power plant was shut down. Mm. But the most... Um, are you going to play a clip of that movie? Yes, yeah. I, I would like to do that, and then maybe we can talk more about how it turned out. So let's hear that mm -hmm. clip now, and then we'll come right back to you, Lynn Cherry. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Mothers. I am 10 years old, and I attend Bryant School. I didn't know if anybody would listen to me. I am here today to talk about retiring the coal plant and restricting other bad polluters from polluting Bridgeport. Because... When you're a kid, it's hard to get anybody to listen to you. I didn't know that I was breathing bad air. In fact, I know that Fairfield County has the worst air pollution in the state. I know that because I'm smart and I looked it up on the internet. <laughs> that led to a long road of fighting and testifying. I just say what I'm feeling and it sounds a lot more powerful when you talk from the heart. came out that they were going to close. And that was uh, the main protagonist of the film called Words Have Power, and the music apparently was created by her dad, who's a reggae musician. Yeah. Very cool. So so what happened with the coal-fired power plant? What was the upshot of her all of her uh, activism there? They shut it down. That's so great. That's... Yeah, well, they're going to turn it off, I think, uh, in uh, another year and a half. I think they're going to turn it off, yeah. Huh. I had I had a similar feeling when I saw the young students um, after the shooting at the school um, get up and just start talking about gun control, and really they got a lot of attention. They also got a backlash where people were telling them they were actors, but in general, I think they got a lot more done and they got heard more than if adults had said something, which maybe mm -hmm. it triggers our protective instinct and that maybe that politicians, you know, are more likely to listen or, or more likely to look bad if they don't listen, let's say it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's exactly it, that I think we are wired to want to protect our children genetically and, you know, just evolutionarily. And so when these kids are saying, you know, we're in trouble, help, help us, that um, we do tend to rally and they have great. They have. They have a great effect. The Parkland kids. It has. It's been amazing. I think because I've been making these films now for going on ten years, and it really wasn't until those Parkland kids started speaking out, and then they got. They actually got some laws passed. You know, where adults were had completely failed, and people finally. Said, now I get it. Now I understand the power of the youth voice. And so since that happened, we've been getting. Um, a lot more interest and a lot more groups using the films and um, a lot more partners. And we have, a, we have a lot of partners on our partner page. You can take a look at that on our website. Great. Do you want to list the website so people can find it? It's also on our uh, Facebook page if people go to our Planet Watch Radio Facebook page. But why don't you give out the URL to your mm -hmm. website? It's youngvoicesfortheplanet.com. Okay. And we have a listener comment or question that Tommy's going to tell you and maybe you could address it or uh, actually i'll go ahead and read it here uh, one of our uh, listeners who's been a long time teacher says lynn cherry is a huge star in the realm of children's book authors she is one of my great heroes when i taught elementary school her book a river ran wild was my all-time favorite book to teach from it's brilliant and beautiful. Thank you, Lynn. I'm listening to today's show with tears of love and gratitude in my mm. eyes. Oh, my God. That's so moving. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And who said that? 
That is Mary in Santa Cruz. Oh, very nice. Thank you, Mary. That's beautiful. Yeah, and these voices of the planet as well as the animals um, don't get enough space in our media environment, so it's wonderful. You have held that space open for so long and continue to speak for <laughs> those who don't have a very big voice but who are gaining some traction as time goes on. Tell me what new ones you have in the works. Are you still working on this project, or is it? Are you just uh, continuing to promote it as it lies currently? Well, we just finished Words of Power. In fact, it, I have to admit, it's not really quite finished. We put it up, but sometimes we, you know, filmmakers do that. They put them up, and they know that there's, you know, they're not exactly like they'd like them to be, and they get comments, and then they go back and they re-edit it. And we will be making that sort of perfecting it. I think at the beginning of the year, but. One of our big projects is the curriculum, and that is also, all of this is free on the Internet. So it's under both teacher resources and for kids, there's a civic engagement and democracy curriculum because we're feeling that it's not just a climate, it's not just a climate crisis, it's a democracy crisis, and that if everyone did participate in the democratic system and they realized how to go to their town meeting and to their their uh, zoning board meetings and really participated in governance that we would have a very different country. And so I, it, it, they took civics out of a lot of the schools and we're trying to get it back in through these civic engagement and democracy educator workshops. So we have a pilot that has been funded by the Heinz Endowments and that's, that's in, the, in Pennsylvania, in Western Pennsylvania in particular. And we'd really like to see these workshops around the country. They're modeled on that workshop I mentioned that was done by Mass Audubon, where they showed our films and had the curriculum and then had a facilitator. And then the girls from Save Tomorrow spoke at the end about how they were affected by realizing that they had the power to make a difference, how it completely changed the way they felt about the world, their future, the country, themselves. It's very powerful. Absolutely. I was curious just to talk about this in a more general terms, what you think is appropriate at different ages to tell children. I mean, we, on one level, you know, my gut says, you know, there are certain ages where you should never tell people that their future is not secure. I mean, that just should not be a conversation when people are very young because mm -hmm. it will cause all kinds of psychological problems. But at what age... Do you level with people and say, it's going to be rocky, even if we do something, it's going to be rocky in your future. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that isn't the worst case scenario, but things are going to be kind of rough ahead. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but there are things that, you know, we're going to do our best to weather. But what age is the right age? And would schools have a role? You know, you can't just pretend nothing's happening. And is it only in a science class they would hear about it? Or is there some other place you know mm -hmm. where we all get to talk about this honestly yeah well there's a big debate about this because i know there's some uh, educators who think that you really shouldn't even bring up any environmental problems before eight before grade three uh, that in a perfect world i'd say yes you know just let kids be kids and connect them to nature make them you know really just appreciate and love nature give them the opportunities to be outside and just be free and I think that's really important. 
But a, but in this world, if they have a television, they're going to be hearing about these things, and they're going to know about the floods and the fires and the hurricanes. And so if you know about Mr. Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers, um, he brought up a lot of really troubling topics on his show, but he felt that when the kids bring it up, you don't just you don't just shove it under the rug that you address it and that's as far as you know mental health that's the most important thing you can do but for both children and for adults i think that the key is to have to to, to present solutions and that's why all these films they're a, a little bit of the problem but they're really about youth solutions to the climate crisis and so i'd say with everything that you teach every problem that you bring up make sure there is a solutions component and these success stories that's why we created them so that teachers and and parents and just everyone would have um a tool to show to kids and say well look here's here's some kids and they they they're using their ingenuity to find solutions you can find solutions there are solutions out there and uh, i really like paul hawkins new book drawdown which has a lot of, of uh, stories about of, uh, not just technologies, but natural systems that actually suck the CO2 out of the atmosphere, like agricultural practices, for example, that um, if we use them, they could actually be sequestering more carbon out of the atmosphere. So there are a lot of, of solutions out there. It's just we have to use them. Absolutely. If you just joined us, I'm speaking with Lynn Cherry. She's an author and illustrator of over 30 award-winning children's books, including bestsellers The Great Kapok Tree and A River Ran Wild, which many educators and parents will be familiar with. And her latest project is Young Voices for the Planet. It's a film series focusing on uh, children doing action for the planet, uh, whether it's shutting down a coal-fired plant or insisting that their city remove barriers to putting solar panels on roofs and there's also the little guy from germany who uh we're still going to play that clip too i'm looking forward to hearing that partly because i love his accent <laughs> that german accent uh and lynn was saying earlier um that he um had planted a billion trees well of course uh, he, he was more or less indirectly responsible for the planting of a billion trees because a billion trees is a lot of trees <laughs> it's uh, you know yeah. a significant fraction of the number of people on this planet but it's a monumental achievement in any case and of course uh, well then you can tell us how uh, his efforts kind of uh, led to other efforts which in turn led to further efforts and so on and then we can hear the little guy yeah, you can see on Felix's website, Plant for the Planet, there's a, a counter there. And so whenever anyone logs on and says they're planting a tree, that it, it's uh, tallied on that website, and that's where the number comes from. Mm. And I, I questioned that, and and they said, nope, this is, take a look, and that it really is. But because it is, his website went viral. He, he, he started this website when he was nine, <laughs> and then it went totally viral, and now they're a Plant for the Planet chapters all over the country and all over the world, all over the world. And he was inspired by Wangari Maathai, who had planted a million trees in Africa. And he said, you know, if they can plant a million trees in Africa, mm -hmm. well, we can certainly plant a million trees in Germany. Yeah. So um, he, he's an amazing kid. He's, uh, now he's now in college. That's <laughs> such a great story. And, you know, 
despite the weird statements by our president about raking the forest. Uh, Germany is a forest nation, so is Finland. Uh, they, they have to laugh at, you know, the uneducatedness of saying you should rake forest to prevent fires. And there's been a lot of silly memes, but the best uh, response to, you know, healthy forest is to plant more of them and help them grow. So it sounds like what he took on was a very uh, effective project. And let's hear a little of him, and then we'll be right back to talk more with uh, Lynn Cherry. And by the way, if you haven't uh, said anything, want to ask a question or make a comment, you can email us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com or go on our Facebook page and ask a question or make a comment there. He knows that children can do something. They can change a lot, and they can make a difference. If the adults don't do enough, we have to do it, because we will live on Earth for another 80 or 90 years, and our children will live even longer. Just a little words of wisdom, which is very true. We are going to be here a lot shorter of a time than uh, he is, uh, even though he's in college. This is also still, still true. Um, reminder to all of us that this problem is, even if we do everything and stopped emitting CO2 and methane tomorrow, this stuff's going to be with us a long time. So we, we owe it to long-time future generations to start that arc going back down whenever it does. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, those films are also on PBS Learning Media. They've been, they are being broadcast on PBS. But the PBS Learning Media curriculum is a science curriculum, and the, the curriculum that goes with that, that uh, movie on PBS is really very nice because it, it, if teachers want to teach about climate change and science and, and success stories altogether, there's a, a, a science curriculum where, because you know, in the movie, uh, in the movie, uh, was, uh, Felix is saying that each tree sucks up so much CO2. And in the curriculum, it actually shows the different kinds of trees, different species, different radiuses of the trunks, and how much CO2 they suck up. So you can actually plant a tree that is, is better at carbon sequestration than other trees. Hmm. That's, that's amazing. Uh, it's great to have that be a science lesson as well as kind of more, you said you're, you know, you're focusing on civics on some curriculum and then on this other one, they're focusing on the science and, and similar things are getting brought across just through different avenues. So it seems like you're trying to hit all bases to um, communicate to them. I'm not sure we totally answered my original question. I'm not sure there is an answer about how, what age, you know, can you, you said third grade, um, that it's age, got to be age appropriate. Um, is there a place where parents just sort of, you know, we used to have the sex talk at a certain age <laughs> and it had to get younger, unfortunately, um, you know, because parents were finding their kids were already encountering stuff on the internet. So they had to have right. this talk. This is another one of those talks that's uh, going to be tough for parents to have with their kids. And I think the parents would rather have it first than the, having their teacher necessarily be the first time they ever heard of this. And then they come mm -hmm. home and, Mom, why didn't you tell me? You know, mm -hmm. the planet is going to go through a rough pat, patch, maybe longer than a patch. Um, mm -hmm. So what do, you, what do you think? And I don't know if you have kids, but the kids around you, where, where do you think they could handle <clears throat> more mature information about both the science and the 
difficult part that you know earlier Tommy read about some of the impacts that are expected even if we stop emitting. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually live in Cape Cod part of the year, and one of the things that we, we've done there is we have uh, we've had meetings about having a climate emergency plan. And I really love this idea because just as we're it's mandated that every house has a fire extinguisher and a smoke alarm because we feel that that's a risk. You know, in Cape Cod, the storms, you know, we, we have these notoriously bad nor'easters. And so we're expecting that they're, as, the, as the ocean warms, that we're going to get stronger storms. And so we're looking at other ways that we can have resiliency. And I think that by having that discussion either in your school, in your home, or in your town, you know, how do you... Uh, what do you do if you if you have the flood? What do you have? What do you do if you have a fire? I was actually going to propose to our town that everybody has one of those fireproof blankets. It's like in a, a kit, you know, a, a climate emergency kit, and so you can run through flames by putting this around you know, over your head. That you have a raft. Now I know that that might scare some kids, but on the other hand, I think that if kids know that we're thinking about it. And we're trying to figure out how we can be safe and make and keep them safe. I think that that will be more helpful. I'm actually writing an article with Albert Bandura, who is, um, according to Wikipedia, the most widely quoted psychologist in living psychologist in the world, and um, the most widely quoted psychologist of all time, after B.F. Skinner, Freud, and and Piaget. And so we're, he, he's the person who coined the term self-efficacy, you know, which is the ability of a person to believe that they are able, you know, that they have the ability to make a difference in their own lives and in the world at large. And he also coined the term social modeling. And this is a discussion I was just about to have with him about when is the, you know, when is the right time to speak to kids and, and should we have these climate emergency plans and exactly what, how do we frame the language. So I think that this is going to be ongoing, but I'd really love to see the psychology and social science community step up and start talking about this with the public. It's a good idea. It's probably not too soon because anyone who can read can read a newspaper and, you know, anybody who watches television sees, like you said, these big disasters. And here's the word record-setting or unprecedented, which I think is that last one's overused because you can only use it once before it is precedented. Um, we're going to have to change the way we talk about it in general, I think, um, as time goes on and these things keep happening. Um, the newscasters have not caught up yet. Um, so maybe the parents will be leading the way. And say, Lynn, I have a question for you. Uh, are you actively seeking or just continually uh, reaping more uh, children out there who are, have found out about your uh, uh, sort of clearinghouse or, or efforts and, uh, you know, featuring them with still more films and articles? And, uh, or how's all that going? Is that, uh, is that one of your main enterprises now? It's really, it's really pretty funny because um, I, my editor, every time I come back to my editor with a, a new film, he says, I thought you weren't going to do another film. <laughs> but I say, but we can't, we have to do this film. Look at this kid, we have to do this film. So I would 
I'd rather be able to just focus on getting, we have 13 films now, they're all totally different, you know, all different aspects of climate change and solutions and uh, different curriculum that goes with, you, with each of them. I'd love to just be able to spend my time writing grants and getting funding, actually, to get these films out there, you know, that everybody just knows about them and the curriculum, because I think it's really important. But then the stories keep coming, and I think I just have to, I just have to, to uh, make a movie about this one. <laughs> well, I hope that someday these, these stories will be so commonplace that they won't even, like, warrant a movie, because that's just what everybody does. But for now, <laughs> the fact, you know, that it is unique that these children are stepping up themselves and taking matters into their own hands and I assume it's with help from their parents to get them to the city council meetings and testifying in front of legislatures um, but to have their voices in the room they're going to be the most affected and they're, they have the least voice of all they have no voting power um, but the civics idea is so wonderful because they will vote. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if, they ra if you raise children to understand that when they turn 18, this will be theirs, um, that's likely to put some jaded politicians on notice who are taking money from fossil fuel companies and ignoring the science of climate change. So let's maybe hope that they lower the voting age <laughs> a couple more years so yeah. you know 16 year olds can still vote there was there's was kids some of these kids were going to college campuses the kids who are under voting age and they were they were saying you know, we can't vote we need you to vote you can vote please vote you know ensure our future but you were also asking about um other projects and one of the big ones is this youth action map we have, and it's, we're actually transforming it into a youth action hub or youth action center because now we're, we're working with a lot of these, these youth groups like Zero Hour and I Matter and uh, the, uh, Power Shift. There's some uh, Earth Guardians. There's just some wonderful youth groups out there doing wonderful work, and we're taking their projects and we're putting them on the map and then we're seeking funding so that we can actually build this map out so that the, these young people can actually contact each other, see each other's projects, um, put in their zip code, find, find other young people close to them, and so really helping them connect. You know, there was an action in Congress about a week ago that was filmed, and uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was there supporting youth, um, and I believe the group was the Sunrise Youth um, yes. Organization. We interviewed um, one of their leaders on our show about a year ago, um, uh, Barsini Prakash, I think is her name. Anyway, uh, that's another one. Um, so there's more and more of these, which is great, uh, popping up, and actually... You know, they, they were blocking up the hallways of Congress, which is really exciting. Yes, we are in touch with Alexandria. Yes. So thank you for mentioning Sunrise. And speaking of youth, you know, she's 29, um, and she's the youngest person ever to be elected to Congress. Mm. And I believe she was sent there by a lot of other young voters. So the more young people we have, the more exciting it gets because they are not looking at, you know, 10 years of life ahead of them they're looking at their whole lives and mm -hmm. so it makes a big impact i think yeah and the new green deal is something that they have been talking about lately. green new deal well something like that. Uh, I uh, yeah, the new deal. yeah they're talking about as big as the new deal was after the war this is going to be the green new deal that's going to infuse 
the world with funding. Well, considering we just read a story about uh, economic damage beyond the Great Recession, I think that that Green New Deal is warranted. So look that up, Green New Deal, folks. Uh, It's going to be the next thing people are pushing. Uh, This new Congress, which may be more receptive to the idea to do, um, it's going to take a lot of voices to, to make that happen. Well, I so appreciate um, this interview. It's been very inspiring, and in that your films are wonderful. Uh, you have found some brilliant children to speak so truthfully to the rest of us, um, to inspire us and also put us on notice that no lying will be tolerated about climate change. So I'm very thankful to you for spending this part of your life with this effort. It's making a huge difference from what I can see. Well, thank you so much yeah, for having me on the show. And I'd like to invite anyone who's listening to to join us, you know, to volunteer. We have lots of volunteer possibilities. Young people, please contact us. Uh, we want to know what you're doing and act as a, a clearinghouse and help you. Um, with, we're writing grant proposals with a lot of the young people for major funding. So... Um, yeah, and, and Lynn, uh, look us up next time you're out this way. Lynn and I originally met a couple months ago at the big Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco. So keep up the fantastic work and the wonderful endeavors. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much. We we've been speaking with Lynn Cherry. She is the filmmaker with Young Voices for the Planet and also the author of The Great Kapok Tree and A River Ran Wild. Thanks for being with us here on Planet Watch, Lynn. Okay, keep up the good work. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Planet Watch. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman here with Joe Jordan and Tommy Martin. Just a few minutes left in the program for some cosmic relief. We got some relief from the rain here in California. I know the East Coast is having an unprecedented, sorry, I had to do quotations in the air, um, cold (laughs) winter. But um, what we have been reading about in these climate reports is it's not that it's always going to get hotter everywhere all at once. It's that these extremes are going to happen. So we're going to see extreme cold, extreme rain, extreme fire, and extreme drought. Yeah, and the, the weather today in Santa Cruz, California, is quite exquisite. I actually meant to uh, ask Lynn <laughs> how her weather is. Let's see. She's up north, northeast. It's probably pretty cold still. Well, it was a couple days ago. Maybe Lynn can email us, or I can just go look it up. Um, but uh, speaking of clear skies, uh, one thing you can do now for the next couple or three weeks is in the morning. Uh, up to as late as 11 a.m. or 12 noon, you can actually see Venus, the planet Venus, in the broad daylight with the naked eye. It'll be to the right of the sun, wherever the sun is in the sky, cover it up with one hand or with the corner of a roof of a house. And if you look carefully about uh, one to two hand widths at arm's length away to the right and up above where the sun is, you will see a little white star-like thing. That'll be Venus. That's kind of an opportunity that comes around just for maybe a month or so uh, every so often. Uh, By the way, I was mentioning, speaking of other planets, that lander that's going to be going on to Mars tomorrow, uh, you can tune in on the Internet, uh, NASA TV or on the Internet. I'm sure you can find it. Um, The event is going to start happening and be covered around 11 a.m. here Pacific time, uh, about 2 p.m., East Coast time. So check that out. It's the InSight Lander. And um, and I have a little, uh, well, a fun little fact for you, which I never 
realize till I was long after college and graduate school, but it uh, continues to inspire me. And that is, here's a fun little thing for you. Honey, honey is the one food that never spoils. You ever thought of that? Now, if you start indoctrinating or uh, doctoring up your honey with all sorts of other auxiliary flavors and substances, well then, okay, stuff is gonna spoil. But pure honey never spoils. And I believe the Mayans, I was actually down in Central America, and I think the Mayans had sort of cave-like places where uh, they used honey to preserve food. They also were feeding the deceased. You know, they, they put it with uh, caskets that they put in the pyramids and places like that. And, okay. And so if a biologist found this stuff, it was a treasure trove for pollen to study the ancient world of mm. plants because this honey had remnant DNA uh, of some right. of the pollen. Interesting. <laughs> so isn't Interesting. that cool? Very <laughs> I got, cool science. I got one more little thing for you. It'll take about a minute or less. Um, try to construct a difference triangle out of the first 15 whole numbers. In other words, the same numbers that are on pool balls, 1 through 15. Try to just arrange those numbers in a way, in a downward pointing triangle, the same way you rack up a bunch of pool balls, so that every single ball in there is the difference of the two balls above it. Except, of course, the very top row that has five balls in it, those, you know, they, they can't be the difference of anything because they're not below anything. But for instance, just do a little single triangle. How about if you have seven and nine arranged left and right, then what's the ball going to be immediately below those? It'll be two, right? Two is the difference of seven and nine. It's how far apart the two balls above it are. So it's easy enough to do this for the bottom six numbers, you know, a row of three, below that a row of two, and then below that the point, a single ball, you know. But try it for the bottom ten, and then a really difficult challenge is try the, all 15. Okay, if you get that, email us. <laughs> Thanks. You get some sort of prize. We're not sure what. <laughs> That's Planet Watch for this week with your hosts, Rachel Ann Goodman and Joe Jordan. You can catch our podcast at planetwatchradio.com. And thanks to Tommy Martin. See you next time. Keep an eye on the sky.